Hello again listeners and welcome to another episode of Behind the Decks, an event podcast series hosted by me, Freddie Cocker. Each pod, I check in with DJs and producers from the UK and beyond, discussing their musical journeys, their artistry, and most importantly, the person behind the decks. My special guest for this episode, Venters, is another producer in the internet music scene of Future Funk. His name is Elliot, or as he is otherwise known, Snowdream. His producing journey is relatively young, but we still have lots to talk about, and I'm sure this pod in particular will be educational for lots of reasons, not just music. Get yourself comfy and have a listen as I go behind the decks with Snowdream. Elliot, welcome to Behind the Decks, mate. Thanks so much for coming on and taking the time to chat with me. First things first, how are you and how are you coping with this general madness and uh, kind of post-lockdown but still COVID society we're living in right now? I'm doing good, Freddie. Thanks. Um, yeah, I'm. I'm mostly uh, good at the moment. Yeah, I mean, I think we're, we've kind of got to the point where I think we're just so used to everything that's kind of going on at the moment that it's uh, it's just kind of become the norm. So I think we're just getting used to it becoming the norm and uh, just adjusting to it however we can and just keeping up with whatever we can. Uh, sometimes, like either, whether that's following the news or not following the news, I don't blame anyone for not. Just needing to switch off from a lot of what's going on at the moment, it's ridiculous. But um, yeah, no. Uh, for but for me personally, I I, I started out not being too uh, having having a bit of kind of ups and downs with it and uh, struggling with it a little bit. But I, I've kind of come around to it now. I've gotten used to it. I've just kind of accepted it uh, as it being what it is. So uh, I'm I'm doing alright at the moment though. I'm all good. Perfect. Well, we've got that out of the way. Let's crack on. Let's start right at the beginning, Elliot, and talk about your journey as Snow Dream. So firstly, how did your love affair with music begin? You know, tell me a bit about some of your favourite records growing up, your music idols and inspirations and, and how you first got into producing. I think in terms of actually listening to a lot of music, like I didn't get into, I, I should probably start a bit earlier. So I mean, a lot of what I would have listened to growing up, um, like weirdly enough, my dad was a massive fan of like a lot of hip hop and stuff. So one of my earliest things I remember listening to in the car is like, one of Kanye's earliest albums or something like that. It was, uh, it was the college dropout. And that is one of my favorite albums. That's an early influence. I mean, but going from there, it's uh, hearing, it was basically just hearing what was ever, whatever was on the radio at the time in the UK, uh, or just hearing whatever popped up on like a parent's iPod or something that, that would have been knocking around. So it would have been like Kanye stuff. I remember like hearing like bits of like Daft Punk and stuff like that, which obviously is another massive influence. Uh, but then the, I only started getting properly into albums, like really, actually, all things considered, not long ago at all, like about 2016. Because so I, I like my background is like mainly I was really into films growing up. So films. So actually what I would listen to a lot of would be like songs I'd hear from soundtracks or soundtrack music or like scores or whatever. So, but I didn't end up getting into proper like music and albums and EPs and stuff like that until like 2016 where I was in sick form. I was just at one point I went, I, w- I was really interested in kind of like uh, listening to like film reviews and people talking about music. And I was like, oh, this is really cool. I want to try and get into some music. So I just told my friends at the time, just send me your favorite album and I want to listen to that. So I just got a, a, like a, a smorgasbord of all sorts because my friends listened to a whole bunch of different stuff. And I just started, sort of kind of dived in there. In terms of like favorite albums at the moment, 
and it would be like um so like i love like kendrick lamar's stuff i love a lot of hip-hop music uh, in particular but it's like kendrick lamar a lot of kanye's older stuff and then so there's a couple like vaporwave and future funk type ones but i'm happy to talk more about that uh in a bit no one's heard of alison krauss but it's a country artist one of my favorite albums i've got that old feeling i actually sampled that on my album that i put out recently yeah no it's just um, no i i just got into music from listening to a load of albums and just like hearing a load of different genres and just getting into it and just getting stuff in essentially that's basically it and for the listeners who want an in-depth discussion about the origins of future funk and vaporwave please feel free to listen to the behind the decks episode i did with mr wax but for you elliot how did your love affair with future funk begin and just sum it up if you can for the listeners who who want a kind of snapshot into the sound you create i I always describe it as disco on speed yeah no yeah yeah i I heard that when you did the one with uh connor i remember hearing disco on speed i'm like i've never heard that that's so funny i kind of see it like i do kind of see like that how i kind of see it in my head is that i see it as like like with like any sample it's like taking the most fun energized catchy bit of something it's like take it's like a motif it's like using a motif it's like taking that one like a little piece of something like the most energetic the most fun the most groovy dancey thing and just making it a whole just making it larger than life essentially that's how i kind of see it and who are some of your idols you would say in the future funk scene elliot who've had a real impact on you so far maybe some of your favorite future funk records and and who's who inspired you to get involved in this community of producers so when i started out i was listening to i was just listening to it uh, a lot of vaporwave uh, and a lot of kind of that i was getting used to that kind of like weird slowed down like i'm like listen to this going it's like it's like smooth it's like elevator smooth jazz music but slowed down I'm like what is this it sounds really good and there's like a really weird like hypnotic like cool quality to it and i was like this is so cool but i remember really really vividly one of the 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 album that made me go i need to try this was when i listened to the album miami virtual by dan mason and dan mason in general is just a huge huge influence on me because the way in which he uses samples and the way in which he kind of flips them and adds these really cool really beautiful sounding soundscapes but in miami virtual i i vividly remember it's the funniest little memory i have i i I mentioned it briefly on another podcast but it was um it was like it was like in the middle of june in like 2017 i was sat in my garden just having a drink like a (laughs) and i was uh i chucked that album i'm going i should just chuck on like a nice vaporwave album and i remember listening to that going oh my god this is the greatest thing i've ever heard in my life i vividly remember being just stood in my garden when the last song on that album popped on and i felt like i was literally in another world i was like i felt like i was hovering it was such a such a cool experience and uh it's come full circle because the vinyl for that was re-released on uh, my pet flamingo which is a great vinyl and cassette label in the uk and they've recently put out the vinyl for that album and i and i was lucky enough to be one of the people to get it before it sold out um but that album in particular but dan mason is a massive massive influence on me and that whole kind of vaporwave soundscape he does he does some future funk as well which um is amazing but I think some of the future funk stuff that inspires me is more like uh, I listen to a lot of things like Daft Punk and stuff like that for like the kind of French house kind of stuff. Mr. Wazo, who's a French house artist, is really, really good as well. Uh, but a lot of the people popping off now, like in the kind of smaller areas like um, Strawberry Station, Mr. Wax, who was doing that stuff back in the day. Um, 
who else off the top of my head? Uh, like St. Pepsi, Tupperwave. They're all such good future fund artists and listening to them as well. Is, like, they're so inspiring. They're so great. Let's talk a bit about Snow Dream in a bit more detail now. First off, where did the name come from and how did you get into producing? Uh, so the name comes from, I don't know if you ever, did you ever have a PS2 back in the day? I did indeed. A classic. Uh, did you ever play the game SSX Tricky? I did. I did play SSX Tricky. It was more like a game I played around a mate's house when we needed a multiplayer game. Cool. The second map on SSX Tricky, it's one of the first three maps. The second map is called Snow Dream. <laughs> I literally just pinched it. I went, because that's one of my favourite games and I and I still have my PS2 and I still have that game. And I went, if I was going to make this stuff, I would call myself one of these names. I was stuck between Snow Dream and the other map on there called Tokyo Megaplex. But I think someone took that name because I looked it up and I found someone's artist page. <laughs> so I was like, I guess i got to go Snow Dream then. And I stuck with it. And, and the art of music production itself, you know, Obviously, it's such a massive skill and tool to even begin to try and get your head around. You know, how did you first get into it? Was it a CDJ you bought? Was it kind of, you know, going on GarageBand? You know, tell me a bit about how that production journey began. Uh, so I started, like, so my beginnings of trying to make Future Funk are as rudimentary as you can imagine, because I literally worked with what I had, which was nothing. So I literally went, okay. What do I know? How, what, how do you make Vaporwave? It's like, oh, cool. You kind of play around with samples and you try and add some little bits. And I went, okay, well, I've got a YouTube to MP3 downloader link web, uh, to a website somewhere. And I also have Audacity. That's a start. And I literally just made like, I couldn't make like Future Funk and stuff like that because I was like, I didn't have a good idea as to the ins and outs and how it works. And I wasn't too experienced in making it. So I just started making like uh, ambient Vaporwave music. So I've got three albums and three EPs from 27 between 2017 and 2019 of just like ambient like kind of like weird little like lo-fi soundscapes that I tried out um, and that's how I started and I basically just kind of I grew my skills from there and then eventually I ended up getting a proper digital audio workstation and uh, and a MIDI keyboard that was and that's only of like love since like last year and actually like trying to produce more of the stuff I was kind of wanting to make the the stuff I also did make was very much of a certain mood i was in at the time as well so it, it kind of it was kind of a good way to start anyway but um yeah it, it was a very uh very simple uh it was much simpler back when i was doing because i was literally just like slowing them down in audacity and messing messing up samples essentially that was it you said to me off air elliot that the future funk scene in the uk and beyond was a real supportive and collaborative community which welcomed you in with open arms and made you feel quite accepted did that acceptance perhaps boost your confidence your self-esteem or or even improve your mental health yeah definitely I, it definitely motivates me to keep wanting to make this stuff i'll I tell you what i'm quite a i'm quite slow when it comes to trying to make stuff or at least i found that kind of recently i'm i'm quite bad at, i'm i feel like i'm a little bit like add with some of it sometimes because like I, I feel like a, a mood will hit me and i go oh, i've got to i've got to make that into a song and then if that mood doesn't stick around for long enough it can just fade i'll be like okay cool i'll just step back from it and then i'll jump back in when i'm like kind of right in that mood that tends to be how i make a lot of the music i'm doing and yeah so a big part of that is just kind of making sure that i'm in the right headspace and stuff like that and the support that i've got from people has just kind of kind of give me some give me a lot of energy and it gives me a lot of excitement and it's like oh cool i want to keep making more of this stuff because this is just uh because the response i'm getting is so cool and people are so supportive and i mean even last night i don't know if you saw what's happening on montaigne 
uh, it wouldn't probably won't be last night as of the time of recording this, but they've done a wave pool live stream like of DJ sets from like massive artists in future funk and ever and everyone's so supportive and amazing. Their their uh, aim it's a two day event. It's like we're in the middle of it now. Uh, their aim was to raise two grand for a lot of really great charities, and they've already cracked it. And it's day one. Like it's really really incredible what the community's done, and everyone's so supportive, and it's just great. And I've 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 had, I've had such good feedback and response from people. It's it's really really good. And what impact does producing have on your mental health when you are in the studio, your bedroom, kind of working on new records, Elliot? Is it a release for you? Is it something cathartic when you're feeling down, perhaps an escapism for you to ride out those negative periods in your mental health? You know, you talked a bit about having some maybe subconscious form of ADD. Just tell me a bit about kind of the producing impact on your mental health. It's usually something, it's usually me like expressing a lot of energy. Like, I mean, between what what I normally do is like, if I, I normally get like these like rushes or that energy when I'm like excited about something or like I see something pop and go, that's so sick. I want to try and, or I have an idea for something that's really cool. And I normally like transfer it in like two different ways. I either go for a run and blast some music as loud as possible into my headphones, or I go into Ableton and I just try and make the sickest thing I can if I've got a really, really good idea. And then afterwards from there, it's, it's really interesting because what it what it feels like is it feels like a bit of a puzzle like it feels like okay I've I've unleashed a load of energy into something that I think sounds really cool and then trying to make it work trying to make it sound like a song I keep myself engaged because it's almost like treating it like a puzzle like going oh how does it sound what is it what's it like if I fit it like this or how does it sound like this it's like it's almost like making music's like a cut it's like a making your own puzzle it's like you make it as complex or as simple as you you want it to be all the pieces fit only if it sounds right to you if that makes sense at all and and that and that's kind of part of the fun as well is that after that kind of initial energy oh my god I've made something this sounds so cool because that normally happens once I take the sample I flip it and then add the drums I'm like oh this sounds so cool and then the next bit is working out from there. Okay, how do I make this work as a song? How do I keep the energy up from this? So it's it's still quite a fun kind of process even from there. But it's um it's certainly uh not the same as the original way you kind of start off, but you you create something really cool as, as a result anyway. Talk to me about DJing now. Is it something that you'd like to do more in the future and perhaps expand your skill set and kind of have this extra string to your bow that's not just a producer? 100%. Uh, it's something I'm I'm really looking forward to getting into, which I've not actually made the start for it yet. I have, I've ordered a CDJ. Unfortunately, due to the situation that's going on at the moment with COVID and everything, uh, I'm still waiting on uh, it to be even shipped out from the warehouse. I've got like a nice Pioneer one. According to what I've read up about, it's a very good one to start out with as well. So I'm super excited for that. Uh, I've actually also booked, because I'm so desperate just to get any sort of practice in, I found out there's a pirate studio really close to me. So I've got on that straight away, because I, I, which, which is a, if anyone doesn't know, is a, like a facility in the UK that gives you access to like DJing equipment and speakers and everything. So you can like practice for sets. I think you can even do sets and stuff like that. They've got like a live feature there. But uh, yeah, I'm just, I'm just so excited to get cracking with a lot of that. Let's talk about your productions of Snow Dream now. You put out two bodies of work, one EP called New Kid and your debut album, which came out this year in 2020. Let's talk New Kid first. What significance does it have for you as your first sort of cohesive body of work artistically and, and perhaps for your mental health? Uh, so how it kind of started out was that was literally me getting Ableton and going, okay, I'm going to make an EP whilst figuring this out. And and the kind of concept and title for New Kid, it's not like a super complicated thing or anything, but it's me going, okay, I'm, I'm really new to the scene. I'm really new to making music. So I'm just going to make what I think sounds cool and to what is to the best of my abilities at the time. Uh, and I listen back on it now 
and it's I'm quite happy to say like it's not great I'm not like I, I, I which is which is a good thing because I'm so happy that I'm I'm improving and that when I made that I was learning loads of new stuff and I, I was getting better at doing certain things I was learning how everything kind of works I was learning how to use my MIDI keyboard I was figuring out I was getting better at playing like things like piano which I've kind of and building up a knowledge of as I'm kind of producing and things like that so it was it was a really good uh, learning curve it was a uh, fun to make and it reminds me of quite a good time because last year was quite a good year for me because I, I, I graduated from uni I had some really good memories of my friends it was on the upturn from a slightly more turbulent few years of my life uh, and that's represented in my album as well because a lot of what I made in my album was made like between late last year and early this year so it's uh yeah so it, it reminds me of a lot of really good memories and reminds me of back when I was still kind of learning which is always a good thing I think people are scared to fail and people are scared to put something out that isn't necessarily like the most amazing thing in the world and I was kind of nervous about it as well going now oh, this isn't like the greatest thing and anyone who like listens to this stuff and like knows what they're talking about will know that this is really not the best stuff in the world but I but I, I knew to myself that I'd be like I'm going to look back at this and be like, I'm so proud of, of how much I'm, I would be developing if I put this out. So, and, and even then I actually got some really good responses from it. So, you know, even if I don't think of it as like the greatest thing in the world, like, you know, it, it, yeah, there's, there's at least someone, people out there who still, who still enjoy it. So I'm, I'm happy with it though. I am happy with it. That music perfectionism culture um, point that you made Elliot is something that I think that I've had a few DJs talk to me about um, on this pod your debut album is called A Good Feeling, which does exactly what it says on the tin. You know, talk to me about the build up to its release, perhaps any nerves or anxieties and the endorphin rush when it came out and the response you got. Yeah, so put, putting it out, I had I had one or two songs. So like one of the songs from New Kid, I actually I actually basically thought this is really cool, and I think this would be really cool if I remastered it, made it sound a bit better now with the knowledge I've learned, and see if I can just like revamp it a little bit for the album. So I put uh, that's uh, City Life on there and then I put out and then I did like a I put a single out for qualified which I think is the song right after and I went okay let's see if I can and I put that as a single like at the end of 2019 I went okay I'm gonna try and see if I can make this a bit bigger and a bit better and I tried that and I put it out there and then I made a whole load of new songs for it and that and and you're right like there's not a uh there's no there's no dense like heady concept for it other than it's just some really some music that made me feel good some music that was kind of a reminder of some really good memories me trying to like make something cool out of like I mentioned there's like a country sample on there uh, on one of the songs and uh, that's from one of my favorite albums and for me that's just like a personal thing of it's like oh this is like the music I really love and this is like my own like little spin on it so it feels really like personal and like nice to me so and then I kind of when I put it all together as like a big body of work I go okay this is like a nice kind of like listening to through it, it's like quite a fun quite a nice pretty low intensity experience and I was like this is something I, I really enjoy personally and the response from it I got was incredible I put out um, a cassette for it on Virtual Beach Club and they sold out within they sold out in like a week or eight days or something like that and I thought that was insane like I didn't think anything that I would have made was worthy of not only being put out on a physical release but also that people would actually buy it and really enjoy it like it's it's such a cool feeling it's uh, it's really amazing Doing Future Funk, even for as kind of relatively short time as you have, Elliot, what have you learned about yourself and what has it taught you about yourself that you might not even have imagined? That's a tough question. It's hard to say because I'm so new into it. So I only have so much like insight or, or, sorry, or should I say hindsight as to kind of how how, how it's really kind of affecting me. Because I feel like I'm still in the midst of kind of doing a lot of stuff and I'm still making stuff like right now. So it's 
so it's hard to kind of say kind of how it's affecting me like how it's kind of made a super impact in my life in terms of how it's changed me but I would say uh it's definitely building up more confidence in terms of communicating with people it's definitely giving me more options and it's making me feel like I can put myself out there and it's and it's teaching me that like it really doesn't matter like even like for example doing this interview I, I remember originally going uh doing an interview that's kind of like I feel like I'm putting myself out there if I'm like you know like talking about like a lot of stuff but I'm also just like I, I'm already trying to build up something and you know you might as well just throw it out there you might as well just get yourself out there and also it, what another thing it's actually taught me is taught me about the uh, I didn't even think about this but uh this just popped up in terms of the creative process it's uh it's a really weird thing because we talk about the whole kind of music perfectionism thing that people are kind of obsessed over because it's that problem of you have to put out so much material or you have to put out enough material that eventually you'll get noticed and people will like really enjoy the stuff but then people also have this thing of like no it's got to be the perfect thing it's like you could spend an eternity crafting the perfect album and if no one hears it it doesn't matter do you know what I mean it's like so I, I, it's like that whole aspect of it's just a uh, crazy so what I've learned from it in particular and, oh, and also from that Nuka DP is um is just you make something, you work on it for, you work on it for as much as you can. You make it sound as good as you can, but eventually you've just got to put it out there and you just got to keep working and working. And especially since I'm quite slow with a lot of, uh, uh, make it like the actual music production stuff. I'm, I, I want to try and get better at building up more of a stamina for just being like, make stuff, make it sound as good as you can. Don't take too long on it and just put it out there and just keep putting stuff out there. Cause that's the only way people build that's the only way people learn it's the only way people get better if you spend your whole life making what you think is the perfect album by the type like the day before you like drop dead like it, you won't it, that's not like necessarily going to be the best thing you'll ever make because you don't you didn't you didn't necessarily learn or develop anything based on what you did the last time or anything like that so there's there's it's such a weird thing that people are obsessed over is the whole idea of making something completely perfect do you know what i mean as a producer starting out elliot what are some of the realities that people might not see about you know balancing producing in a full-time job you know has it impacted any parts of your life both positively and negatively uh i think it's quite easy for people to i think write off a lot of what you're doing especially when you have to when when music's like a side hustle i think people don't take it seriously but you can't make music full-time un- unless it's like making you enough money anyway it's that's another like weird like d- like dichotomy that that's like exists of like it's like it's like people find it like funny or kind of amateurish when you're trying to do do music as a side hustle because they assume it isn't good and then but you can't make money off of it until like it you've you've built up that le- you've done the side hustle anyway so it's it's really important that people recognize that a lot of people producing, especially at lower levels, especially in things like Vaporwave and Future Funk, where it's all like sample-based material and stuff like that, vast like ninety-nine percent of people aren't like making anything from it. They're just like making stuff that they like that's fun, and hoping that maybe one day they'll end up they'll either make it big or they'll be able to get to a point where they can make literally whatever they want. And they have access to all the equipment and everything. I think it's I think it's um I think people uh, treat like music such a commodity to anyone who's not making music, but to people who are making music it's just like it's just something it's just a passion and it's always like a passion project and and they always treat it as such looking ahead now is producing full-time something you'd like to pursue as a dream or, or are you just kind of enjoying it as a side hustle at the moment as you said 
I'm, I'm kind of figuring that out now. I mean, I'm a relatively young lad at the moment anyway. At the I say, I say I'm turning 22 next, uh, on mon- uh, Monday, week after next. Um, so I'm still kind of uh, figuring out kind of what I want to do, where I want to go into. So I think a lot of what I'm going to be spending the next, like maybe five years or so is kind of treading kind of the water and seeing what kind of works for me. Again, I'm at, I come from like a like a filmmaking background as well. So like the degree I did was in film production. So I'm also looking to try and see if I can kind of step into that world as well. So I'm trying to find, see if, see if I can find some sort of balance between the two. Cause I know I love do I love uh, like things like filmmaking and I love uh, music and mixing and stuff like that so much. So I'm almost like interested to see if I can find like a mix between the two. Like if I could do some sort of audio engineering or audio mixing type thing on like some sort of like film or TV projects and stuff like that. I think it's just like, like basically just like working out from there. But again, it's a, uh, I feel like I've still got at least a little bit of time to work out what I'm, I'm doing with the rest of my life. You'd hope so anyway. <laughs> and just finally, Elliot, for anyone wanting to get into producing or making music, what message or advice would you give them from your experience? I think it's kind of what I was uh, saying earlier and that don't pace yourself too much and make it make something that you think would be absolutely perfect obviously take your time with what you're making enjoy what you're making love doing it because that should be what it's about at the end of the day but keeping out that steady stream of stuff I think for me at the for me at the very least it's definitely kept kept the passion for the music kind of going it's just making sure that I kind of keep making it keep putting it out keep getting feedback and then just kind of letting the cycle go from there everyone has a different working process as well so I think I guess another thing I'd say is that work out what your how you work out how you work and what works best for you and working at your own pace, whether it's in terms of like mental health or whether it's in terms of your capabilities and what you can do. And if it's like a side hustle and stuff like that, it's just um, making sure you work at your own pace and your own time and just kind of finding, finding the right balance. That's what I think that's what anyone's, that's what everyone's trying to do really is just finding a balance between everything. So just find your balance. We talked about Snow Dream. Let's go behind the decks, mate, and talk about your journey, Elliot, in a bit more detail. So firstly, tell me a bit about your early life, your childhood, your teenage years. And and looking back, were there any sort of early mental health experiences you can pinpoint? You know, who's the Elliot we meet here? Overall, I would say I had a pretty, like, sheltered, pretty good life. I'd say overall, like, I'm... I'm like I've had a I've had a lot of kind of like good opportunities growing up and you know I was um you know I was I was I was pretty much okay from a lot of uh, what was happening in my life growing up uh, things like bullying and stuff like that I feel like you know it does pop up for a lot of people but it you know to an extent it did pop up for me but I think a big thing that I found growing up was that I de- I started developing especially into like teenage years and going into like secondary school I start you know developing certain like kind of anxieties and kind of self-confidence issues which I think is um is not too uncommon for people when you're when you're at that age but I think a big thing was that I was having a lot of issues with things like self-confidence and kind of feeling comfortable in my own skin and uh kind of uh putting myself out there a little bit more and I think that was just a big thing that I've kind of just spent a lot of my teenage years kind of getting over that fact and yeah, basically just building it from building myself from there, just making myself a more confident person, making myself uh, more willing to put myself out there and uh, just go from there, essentially. You spoke to me off air, Elliot, that you, you you experienced some some mental health difficulties in relation to your anxiety. You know, if you could and just going into as much or as little detail as you want, just tell me a bit about how they've made you feel and, and how anxiety affects you in your day to day life. So, I mean, I guess the just general thing is, is, um, 
or a big thing what I was working out when I was younger is uh, learning about what uh, how I feel about myself or how I perceive myself to the world. Because I think a big thing that a lot of people struggle with, including myself, is that how you, is is the disconnect or what can be the disconnect between how you see yourself and how you are to the rest of the world. And I think it's trying to work out how to like make those kind of like as as like equal as possible. I think sometimes I I, I uh, get. Like one of the things I, I, I used to always and, and to an extent still kind of do get anxious about is um, how different I might be to like other people. So like obviously people talk different, talk different and uh, and uh, act different between things like friends and family and, you know, partners and stuff like that. But I think I think it's just making sure I'm not filtering myself too much because I think I've always been someone that's never I've never liked co- like things like confrontation confrontation makes me insanely anxious that's a big one but um I've always been the kind of person that's tried to be the one that like everyone kind of likes and I think and to an extent that can be a detriment when you're filtering yourself so much that you're just like you're not being yourself you're just being like someone that you think the other person likes and that's not a healthy I know that's not a healthy way you're supposed to go about go about life and I think sometimes I worry that I kind of I I I, uh I I toe the line too much to try and like make everyone happy which I which you know sometimes isn't really even called for I feel like I just need to you know just say things how how I see them and just be myself about certain things it's just working out from there I guess your relationship with your anxiety from when we spoke Elliot is 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 linked in some ways to your sexuality as a bisexual man now let's start at the beginning of this journey if we can what what age do you think you were when you realized you were perhaps a little bit different and had feelings for both men and women yeah so I was probably about I want to say maybe about 14 or 15 so that, so I, I guess the thing is is the way thing I suppose it's not that strange when you actually think about it because obviously a lot of things in kind of like in society and the media they kind of like they they push like a lot of like heterosexual ideas at you all the time so obviously being bi it's like I knew I liked girls because I've been told by everything that I watch and see and everything that's exposed to me when you're younger and growing up is heterosexual and so you you know that part of yourself to be true and then you kind of work out other bits as you're going growing up I'm like oh no I think I'm attracted to guys as well and then you 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 kind of work that out you have to work that out by like by growing up and exploring yourself it's not really something that you or at least back in the day I think it's better now but like especially like the media and television and representation wise it's always something that's seen as like an other or seen seen that's something that's not the norm and therefore it's it's too different and that it, it wouldn't ever be explored so it's um yeah so it's uh so that's kind of about when I kind of found out and I had feelings for someone someone else at the time which was uh which was a big help but uh, that, that is a yeah who was a guy so that's where I kind of like uh worked it out essentially but uh, and then and then the exact anxiety that kind of ends up coming from that is kind of like oh god like because I, I like you kind of almost assumed that you were like like when I assumed I was straight I was like oh okay cool this is fine but then when I I, I knew I wasn't I was like oh god now I'm I guess I'm I guess I'm kind of other now and that everyone's gonna have to see me different and I think that was a big knock in terms of my uh self-confidence and how I saw myself because it was almost like I was kind of thrown through a loop I guess every LGBT person's coming out story is different as you'll know L some people have incredibly emotional and heartwarming stories whilst others it can be quite traumatic and could even cause them to separate themselves from friends or even their families for you Elliot what was your coming out experience like and, and what was the reaction from your family and friends yeah because we, we so we I mean we talked about a little bit about this off air but the the thing that was weird was was that 
in terms of everyone's responses, everyone's uh, responses were like really positive, like of, of a lot of, uh, in comparison to many people in, in the LGBT community. Like I, I'm, re- I'm really, really lucky and really fortunate that I've got really good family and friends who love and care for me. But, but it was always weird. I had this, like, it was still like a self-confidence issue. So, I mean, so I was a, when I came out, I was in a relationship uh, with someone of the same sex at the time. And it was, um, it was, uh, it was uh, difficult for me to kind of get across anything. Like I was really bad at, uh, like I never did anything like any like PDA or public display of affection. I never really liked doing anything like that. I was still very kind of closeted in, in that way. And I wasn't really kind of confident enough to kind of really be honest and open about myself. Cause it felt, I almost felt, it felt weird it felt like that was it felt obviously that's such a obviously that's a personal part about you but but you know but things like that just like live living your life and being happy and just like knowing who you are and accepting that that, that was such a and 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 in a lot of ways it still is quite difficult for me to kind of wrap my head around and kind of get used to and just kind of like just be comfortable in my own skin which is uh something that's got better over the years but is uh, still something i'm learning a lot about and that's great that it's gotten better at least mate you said to me off air that you were able to mask your bisexuality quite well during school and avoid you know potential persecution or abuses you weren't obviously effeminate if that makes sense however it did make you quite paranoid and anxious that people would find out and out you so to speak some people might call it a much more severe form of imposter syndrome which is rooted in sort of legitimate more rational fears if that makes sense you know in the school environment we were probably in homophobia was pretty rife um looking back do you think that anonymity helped you or has it caused people to perhaps be more judgmental or confused when you do tell them you're bisexual? Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, cause as you said, I mean, as we talked about, like, I'm not a particularly feminine person or like, or like I don't necessarily fit into a hundred percent with what people might necessarily say is like someone who'd be like attracted to someone of the same sex. Like I not necessarily, but the, but the thing is, is that it's a, uh, it, it like it, it what what it affected most it affected me because because I could because in theory I did people didn't necessarily assume that about me then I could it was the lack of opportunity I gave myself to be confident it was like I didn't give myself that chance to actually just say how I feel or who I, who I was or like even kind of present myself and I I, I would have like I, I've had like many friends where like I've I've not told them until like or, or actually even family as well where I've like not told them like so into so many years of knowing them and it's just like and they're like wait really and then but no one ever means it in like a like a mean spirited at least nowadays or at least from my experience no one's ever meant it like a mean spirited way they just didn't expect it and then it's just strange from there and I think another thing that doesn't help with a lot of the anxieties is that I can't remember if I mentioned this when we talked about it I actually was outed in school I didn't tell I didn't tell people in school but eventually I was outed and I tell you what, I think one of my worst experiences I had in school was it was a day where it was like the day after everyone had found out and everyone tried to come up, like almost everyone tried to come up to me at some point in the day. It was like an entire day of people trying to come up to me and ask me about it. And it was for my anxiety, it was the worst thing in the world. It was horrible. But um, yeah, but I, that definitely didn't help with a lot of my self-confidence and anxiety issues it was just um pretty bad effects on me now and and it's and it's taken a while to kind of get used to and kind of better myself from there I will say what you talked about there earlier I mean I, I'm sure it's it was a horrific experience and I had a previous guest called Brady he talked about when his his dad died 
in school and his fa- and his school found out he told them in, he told his teachers in secret and they ended up blurting it out and you know the whole school you know found out about it and they took it in turns to try and come up to him and say how sorry they were and he didn't even know some of these people so i completely get what you mean um about that whole like anxiety about kind of cons- people constantly coming up to you and that sort of fake that fake empathy, if that makes sense. Yeah, uh, yeah, but it was like it was weird. In my experience, it was like people come. It wasn't people asking me because they were friends with me. It was people confirming gossip, and I think that's what really got to me. It wasn't people like who cared about me who were genuinely asking because they because they wanted to know for my well being. They wanted to know because they heard some gut because it was school gossip, and it's like it was kind of horrible thinking. It's kind of heartbreaking to think that this kind of really intimate personal thing that. I, I I had was something that was just turned into school gossip. It's horrible. You also talked about the stigma and fear off air to me, L, that people would think you were in in quotation marks chucking around your bisexuality. What did you mean by that? So I think it's it's kind of based on the idea of throwing in because the, the the weird thing about coming out is, especially if it's not something that people don't automatically associate with you, is that to make yourself feel confident. And this is something I still struggle with. Is, is, is kind of you have to kind of throw it out there you kind of have to mention it just so you don't leave it at like, like and it's always that kind of debate in my head as to what how I mention it because the fear is is that if I mention it I'm obviously just mentioning it for the sake of so, someone knowing something a bit more personal about me and 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 it's it applies to other people when it comes to you know when you want to say when there's something you want to say that's kind of personal about yourself and it's just like finding a right moment to kind of say that say something on those lines but then when you when you do find a moment you just have to kind of find a moment just to tell people and then people assume that and it's a thing that lgbt people get a lot it's like oh they oh they always talk about being gay or being bi or whatever it's like they do that so that they feel comfortable and so that they know that you're comfortable around them it's like it's for that it's not it's it's almost less for you less for the person they're talking to as, as, as much is for them to kind of just get it off their chest and that and you know so they can feel like they're in a safe comfortable environment where people know who they are and and they're comfortable with that it's it's a really important thing that doesn't i don't think really gets talked about as much as uh, as some people do I guess his ability to drift under the radar until you were outed, you know, in a really, really horrific way was was helped or hindered by your rural hometown university where you went to, which I guess, you know, from the sounds of it, wasn't a lot of visible bisexual or even gay men and women. What impact did that have on your mental health and this journey you were going on? It, it's not the reason you end up going to uni because there was a course I really genuinely wanted to go. But uh, to an extent, people are always really excited and really one of the big bits at uni is the social life. And it's all the big social aspects of everything that goes on. And the university I went to is a really, really it was a really good course. and I was really happy to be part of it and to go there. But where I, where I was, it re- there was like social socially, there was like really nothing going on in terms of like lgbt people there there was like uh there was no like communities there was no real like kind of groups and things like that it was just kind of like oh we have the course and that's it the course kept us very busy mind you i mean it was a film course a film production course so they they did keep us very busy for a lot of it so we almost didn't we almost didn't they almost never added any because they were like well they won't have time to do any of that stuff anyway so i think it was a big thing of like working quite a lot during uni just meant that there was no there was no kind of situation where I could put myself in a big like social circles where I could like kind of grow and develop so I think a lot of people they end up joining like say like big LGBT communities which I never really had the opportunity to because and again as you I mean as you said because we talked about it the the it was quite a rural area as well so there wasn't really much of uh 
strong presence like outside of like university anyway so it was quite hard for for me to really kind of get stuck into anything because there wasn't really much even kind of happening there in the first place there's a lot of myths and stigmas around bisexuality both for men and women l some people might think you're bisexual as a sort of invert in quotation marks halfway house for coming out as gay and seeing what the reaction is before before coming out as gay some people as you told me off air ask you you know what's the ratio between you fancying men and women just tell me a bit about some of the stigmas you faced you know how that's impacted you and what myths we can smash on this pod right now for any listeners you know do you answer that ratio question when you're asked i i have before drunk (laughs) but 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 it's the 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 thing that it kind of is is that at least for me in particular because the thing is is that it's kind of like it's a it's an annoying kind of like double-edged thing because the point that is supposed to be made is that everyone's different and everyone's everyone how everyone feels like if someone identifies as bisexual men women or, or or otherwise it's like how they define that and how they express that and how they communicate that it's going to be different for every person which of course the problem with the problem with that is that it means people do ask the questions because i think people because you know sometimes it's that people genuinely are curious or just people or people or it's from people that kind of care about you but i think the the thing is is that i think you've got to i think people need to know that there's you need to take there needs to be some discretion there needs to be some kind of you don't necessarily you know just making sure the people the person's comfortable asking about certain things and because i think sometimes that takes a back seat when people are just curious it's the same thing when obviously when when i was outed my my emotions and how i felt took a back seat to curiosity and people just like wanting to find out something interesting like as opposed to me feeling comfortable sharing personal information it's just and I think that's something that's a relatively unique experience of being bisexual in particular or being someone or actually not even just bisexual of anyone who's like, for example, non-binary uh, or who's like transitioning, like if, like anyone who's kind of going through an experience where it's kind of it's not quite one or the other or you know it's it, it just become it, when it's more complex than 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 like a binary. I think people people are quite happy to kind of ask questions and and again as i said to, um put put how put their reactions or put their emotions or put their sensitivities on kind of a on on the in the back seat as a, and just kind of do it for their own kind of curiosity's sake and that's that takes more importance when it really shouldn't it's fair to say that bisexual men aren't massively visible in the mainstream conversation um especially in your case elliot um as someone who you, you know you you've actually said you're, you're not as effeminate as perhaps other bisexual men so people um are more surprised when you tell them um obviously there's there's quite famous examples of bisexual uh, or you know rumored bisexual artists you know the likes of uh, david bowie or prince um how has that been in navigating life as a bisexual man and also you know in, you know embracing the lgbt community itself yeah it's a hard one because again because the fact that for a lot of people for myself included like it can be it can be such a it's 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 a little bit more it can be a little bit more nuanced as as uh explaining to someone like like being attracted to just men or just women or etc it's um it's quite difficult to kind of it's an it's an annoying kind of double-edged sword because you don't see it expressed in the media is because a lot of things in the media you know have to be built off of some sort of simplicity and and it's and it's a it's a shame but it's a it's like it's a big reason as to why stereotypes exist is because people need 
really broad ideas as to how they can define something and and then they just and then that's how they do it because they need to just do it as quickly as possible because people don't because people don't take the time or people don't want to take the time to kind of learn or about other people or 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 learn about an experience so i think a lot of times with bisexuality it's something that's not explored because it's 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 hard to and it and it takes a bit of time but i think yeah it's um it it can be just quite a, a hard one and 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 it kind of leaves a lot of people who who are in that kind of situation where they're not where they're kind of in between places and they're kind of learning about themselves and their feelings it just leaves them kind of like lost like there's definitely a kind of room for more representation and i think there always should there always should be like some you know some some more of it really i mean like because again you always hear about like kind of rumored bisexuality whether it be through men men and women and things like that but you never really see any of it really represented even then you were involved in a great documentary about pride last year called my first my first time just tell me how you got involved with that and the experiences you had in sort of being interviewed and speaking about you know your experiences as a bisexual man i'm thinking right in saying that you'd actually never been to a pride event before that that's right yeah um so uh, the reason I got involved with that project is because uh, I'm friends. Uh, I was friends with someone, a uh, good friend called Stephen, um, who uh, was. We went to the same sixth form together, and we uh, shared a few classes, and we were friends. And we ended up crossing paths again because he put out like a listing saying that he wanted to interview some people uh, for a Pride event and for a Pride documentary that he was doing at uni. And I thought, well, that's actually probably quite a good opportunity to kind of whether it be like either get something off my chest or just kind of kind of talk about like h- how I'm feeling and just kind of actually just like you just give myself a bit more confidence because what I thought com- coming from that doing that doing that I, I knew once I'd done that I'd it would be nerve-wracking and it would be uh not the easiest thing in the world to do and talk about myself so honestly but like I, like sort of like I'm doing here like if I didn't do that documentary I probably wouldn't be on here doing this podcast with you I wouldn't be I wouldn't maybe not necessarily feel as confident talking about what's happening I think it it was a it was a confidence builder for me that just for my own personal gain and also just to help out someone who's a friend and but uh it was but and also it was a really good experience the fact that I got to do uh pride for the first time which obviously as you said I'd, I'd never I'd never done before and it was a really it was a really nice experience and it was a really supportive and it was a really great atmosphere. And I've been, and I've been to, uh, I've been to another pride since uh, more locally to me. Brilliant. And we'll put a link to where you can watch that video with um, Elliot being interviewed in the description of the pod. Um, now I'm right in saying Elliot, um, you've only been in relationships with, with men in your life so far, and you've also never been gay clubbing when you were navigating the LGBT community and entering these relationships and having these experiences, did you ever encounter any sort of intra LGBT discrimination or stigma as you know, we should point out, you know, the LGBT community certainly isn't a monolith and there are stereotypes and discriminations and prejudices that prejudices that happen within it as well. I've, I've not experienced a ton of it kind of like firsthand, especially not from the LGBT community. As far as I'm aware, I mean like, or at least from my experience, cause that's all I can really speak from. It, it's, it's a relatively older thing that kind of bisexuality is kind of dismissed or not really talked about or kind of not really given the time of day in kind of lgbt communities but i think a lot i think that's especially true as well for like especially people who are trans and non-binary and 
questioning and things like that. I think there's in the early days, or at least earlier days of the LGBT community, there was not maybe not necessarily as much time and uh, devotion given to those groups. For me, myself personally, like I I, I feel like I've had most pretty much 100% like very positive experiences from the community because they've been so supportive and they understand and and of course a lot of people who are in it go through you know that's like it's like any community you're all kind of going through a very similar struggle you're not as you said that it's not a monolith not everyone thinks the same not everyone necessarily even feels the same about certain things but everyone's going through the kind of a very similar struggle and that's kind of why why a community is even built for it in the first place when you were starting your future funk journey into this genre of very up-tempo feel-good music did it have any significance on your bisexual identity or allow you to sort of channel some of that expressiveness and, and positive energy into it i mean it's it, it's an interesting one because i mean it's kind of like a lot of kind of house origins a house has a lot of kind of gay club like origins or at least definitely certain subsections of it anyway and you know it doesn't exist without kind of like the clubs and the kind of and and gay clubs and things like that i think a lot i mean i mean i'm pretty sure you'll hear like house music associated with like something that's like a little bit more like especially ones based off her uh, disco samples in particular because because like big like disco stars and stuff like that like some of the earliest um big like disco house kind of anthems were like big like gay club anthems i can't think of any off the top of my head for some reason but um oh actually no i can yes um do you know the song uh, show me love by robin s mate that is in my area that is the anthem for the last 25 years <laughs> that is like the closest i think anyone might ever get to a perfect song and that's like not i've never been to a gay club as you as you rightly mentioned but like from what i've read culturally that's such like a big like gay anthem like and also as well um i'm coming out by diana ross which is another disco classic but and that's like i mean it says it in the title <laughs> like do you know what i mean like that was used as like a point of pride and as something that uh, people in the community celebrated so you know like and so like the origins of the music itself i don't i don't have to do anything to make it seem more lgbt it kind of already has those roots in it anyway one thing that all of the lgbt people i've had on the pod have said elliot is that whilst their lgbt identity is a big part of their life it isn't their entire identity why is that distinction important to make not just for people who are lgbt but for perhaps friends of people who are lgbt it's important because it's not it doesn't have to be the forefront of the conversation and the kind of curiosity as we mentioned leading off from it doesn't have to be like upfront and questioned immediately like like with anything you ask about anyone especially for personal information you know most things you ask about with friends in terms of personal stuff there'll be a bit of discretion you'll you'll tread you might tread lightly you'll you'll talk about it like you know like maybe as friends but you'll you'll keep it relatively light but it's like it's just one part of like a a whole person you know there's you know there's plenty of things about me there's plenty of things about everyone that's like different unique and personal about them you know but and 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 it might have a certain level of significance in your life it might not it's it's just it's it's completely different for every person because the key thing is is that it's not it's not the the central thing about that person because everyone's lives are so complicated everyone's so unique and different and amazing and you know, you can never put someone because people want to put people in boxes and people want to categorize people by certain things and think of them in certain ways. But people are so much more complicated than that. Obviously, you're still 21 and I'm sure you've got loads of experiences and learning still to have in life. But how has this kind of journey of acceptance shaped you into the person speaking to me today? And, and how do you perhaps seeing it shape you in the future? 
I think well, it's just a big part of it. Earliest learning at the moment is that you just. It's, I mean, every, I mean, everything I can say, everything I could say right now is just so cliche. But it's like it's also true. It's just like kind of living for yourself and just being happy and just spending time with the people you love. We're we're all going to be here in a like like it's not going to be like a like finger snapping. Like we're we're not going to necessarily be around for too long. You know, we we you know it's just you want to be happy today you want to love life today you want to or you want to work towards the person you want to be today like it's just about making just living living a happy life just you know being around people that you love and enjoying life there's no again it's all so cliche but it's cliche because it's it's true and it's important if you could talk to that 11 12 13 year old Elliot who might have been struggling with with his identity what do you think you'd say to him knowing what you do now it's almost like like it's like I, I could I would say the bluntest thing and then I'd follow up I'd say no one cares to elaborate <laughs> to elaborate on what on that I mean no one cares in that just be who you want to be because at the end of the day to an extent no one cares just just be yourself just kind of just learn to accept that you are who you are and if people don't like it that's their problem and that you just gotta you just gotta be the best you you can be and the only person who's going to care as much about that as you like is you like you you you're only you are going to care so much about all of these things about yourself you just gotta yeah no one cares <laughs> our final topic of conversation l and it's one i try and have with all my special guests which is a general natter about our mental health so firstly mate I know circumstances are a bit weird at the moment, but how would you say your mental health is at the moment? At the moment, it's good. It's um, yeah, it's, uh, try, trying to keep myself relatively busy, like all things considered, and kind of seeing how everything's kind of going in terms of getting back into the swing of kind of living life, kind of in this kind of new reality. I was saying with, I was saying to some friends, isn't it insane how this has happened literally as the turn of the decade has happened that we've had all of this happen, like. 20, the 2020s are going to be literally completely different to the decade we've just had. And I just found that that's been insane. But at the moment, I'm just taking it kind of one day at a time, just kind of, you know, get, getting used to how everything's going to be going and, and everything's, and I mean, and as I was saying earlier, everything's changing all the time. The world is changing so much faster now because of everything that's going on. It's just, um, it's just, it's just, mate, it's just uh, what I've, what I'm doing at the moment is just making sure that I've, I've taken a step back, that I'm making sure that I'm not overworking myself or I'm not uh, putting myself in a position where I'm, you know, going to be stressed out because with everything going on, you know, we're all stressed out as it is, or at least, uh, you know, I'd imagine so. So it's just uh, just keeping, keeping good spirits, you know, just uh, learning from it. And what age do you think you were when you first realised that these mental health experiences you were having weren't physical and they were actually in your mind i mean it was probably about 14 or 15 which i don't really even ever think about but it's probably about the same time i found out i was i was bi or maybe a little bit maybe a touch earlier maybe maybe close to like just as i was becoming a teenager just going to secondary school uh i, I guess it was kind of learning like self like self-confidence and then like and then like getting used to things like bu- bullying and i was always quite a sensitive kid as well growing up so uh, getting and and I went from quite a nice, uh, very small primary school going to uh, like a really big, packed secondary school, uh, like a classic like England's state school. It wasn't it wasn't even that rough by by any of the stretch of the imagination, but it was um, but it's uh, but it's getting used to the amount of people and then obviously, and then bullying's kind of like heightened and things like that, and it's just like so and it's so common to see 
so 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 I think that's a that was a big thing as well as just kind of getting used to like a new that new environment and then like learning about like oh I get oh I guess it's like oh I don't really have that much self confidence or oh I I don't really put myself out there as much or oh oh the the hobbies that I like or the things I'm interested in at the time oh the, the, oh people are like making fun of me for it oh do I have to change or it's like oh I like and I think it's just navigating yourself around that whole environment it was where a lot of those kind of like mental health issues kind of sprang up for me at least and you talked about confrontation being something that was quite a big trigger for you uh, for your anxiety what other things did you do you find in life that trigger your mental health you know that could be things people might say sounds sensations etc i can't think of anything off the top of my head but confrontation is a is a massive one that uh, like like or like i suppose like uncomfortable atmospheres or like i i can't really like i struggle with I can't like if I know someone's not in a good mood and I, I hate like when people try and play it off like it's like normal or like when like, people are trying to move on and I'm like I kind of like I just want to try and like <laughs> help someone even if I can't it's just like I can't like it's stuff the fixer mate it's people pleasing is the worst trust me I get there I know exactly what you mean it's yeah it's um but but confrontation's a big one and again that's why I think I'm I try and keep, keep myself so kind of I think it's. I think it, it does motivate me to kind of be someone that kind of just like anyone can kind of get along with and just like you know be friendly and 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 everything like that. And and you know obviously like not that I'm not a friendly person anyway. It's just that you know I I hate the idea of um proper confrontations, especially when it gets really heated or like or anything gets like or or God forbid it gets something like violent. That's like like I like I'm I I'm terrible with dealing with things like that and and. And sometimes you you can't help it, and you're just in situations. And I've been in at least a few. I've been in a couple of situations uh, where things have like gone a bit rowdy, or things have gone violent. It's it's a horrible feeling. It like it's, it really is a yeah bad. And what tools and methods do you use in your own life to improve your mental health, L, or help you feel better? You know, which ones have you found that worked, and maybe which ones that haven't? I think a big one, uh, very uh, relatively recently, in like the last year, is I've done is uh, which is a really I'm really glad I've developed it because of all the habits I could develop. I'm so glad it's this one of all things. I run all the time. I, I like I love like I, I mentioned before. I love blasting music and just like going for a run. It makes it it's it's really therapeutic for me, especially if I'm stressed or anxious or I'm feeling like a certain way, like certain like negative emotions. I feel like I can. It, it gives me a certain energy and I feel like I can like transfer it over into, into like exercise. And it's like, and, and that's a, that's been a, that's been a really good thing because of all the, I mean, of all the kind of vices I could, I could have fallen into, especially at uni as well. Like I'm, I, I feel fortunate that, that, that that's been a big one for me. And I, and also just uh, music comes me down all the time, listening to new music. I, I keep up with new music all the time. My, I'll tell you what, it's a, a funny one is I, I, people because i've got friends who love gaming and 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 i play games to relax and so i always play and and people always like look at me like i'm insane for this but i play games on like easy the easiest mode or i play things on like (laughs) like the simplest game mode because i'm just like i'm just playing this to relax (laughs) so i'm just like i I like i like it's like a comforting feeling knowing there might be a bit of a challenge but i'm but i'm gonna be okay and it's normally that and i'll and and things like podcasts and stuff i might have on in the background it's just something that just like helps me like turn my brain off and just like kind of chill out and just kind of put myself in a different headspace for a little bit that's normally what i do and how do you support friends in your own social group who may have mental health issues themselves or going through a poor period of mental health whether that be men or women it's normally a sit-down chat normally actually i've got uh one of my really good friends alice um we normally have a like a sit down every once in a while and 
normally I normally put the kettle on. We just we just natter. We just natter for hours, just about like a lot of like mental health type stuff that's that's going on between us and you know how we're feeling and everything like that. And uh, and that's always a re- and I always really I really cherish um, the, those those times and those moments where we just kind of like take take a just a step back and just like just talk to each other and just like share our own experiences and and hear 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 another person's experience it's um and th- th- that's also like insanely therapeutic it's just uh, just talking to people and, and sometimes I, and sometimes actually i will be talking to people like over kind of text or something like that or i might even hit or like if we just like oh should we just hop on like a game of um me and some friends are on Warzone a lot recently so so it's uh but uh yeah it's just like often on like games it's just like just relaxing it's just whether it's taking your mind off of it by like like going on some games or something like that or if it's just literally sitting down and talking about it either way I find it, it those work for me and my friends and you know it's, it's a good way in which we kind of like help each other out I guess I talk a lot about toxic masculinity on this podcast earlier and it's one that we try and break down a lot in your mind what do you define as toxic masculinity and what examples of it have you experienced in your life that you can share with the listeners i think a big part of it is to do with the kind of whole idea of with masculinity they they have there's like certain things there's like a criteria you're supposed to meet and i think that's the that's the biggest thing i can't think of any examples off the top of my head but you know there's like plenty of examples of things where there's like it's almost like a checklist of certain things that you have. There's like a criteria you have to meet a bare minimum to be considered like, like a real man or anything like that, which is a stupid phrase. Like, you know, anything like that, where it's like people, they, they put on like this, like weird warped perception of who, what like masculinity is supposed to be. And there's, and that even that there's supposed to be a type of masculine masculinity that, you know, you're trying to achieve. It's like a, it's just like a, it's, a, it's, it's such a false narrative that that's like how, that there's like a certain way in which you know men have to be like tough they have to be the breadwinner they have to be this this and that they can't show any emotions it's it's such a horrible thing to to instill in in people in my opinion i also talk a lot about this idea of positive masculinity elliot um some guests have defined it as being emotionally intelligent as a man and being receptive to other people's uh, needs or or issues um some people have defined it as self-confidence what would you define it as and what qualities do you think a man should exude to be described as being positively masculine? It's like finding it for yourself in a lot of ways. It's like d- defining your own masculinity because you're only going to because you're you're living your own life. And if you're living your life as someone who's a male or masculine, like then you then you kind of you carve out for yourself and you and you and you, you should do it in a way in which it's you you positively affect the people around you i'll tell you what i always find really good examples there's like a i think it's like a there's a page somewhere called a uh, wholesome masculinity spotting that i always think of when i think of this kind of topic and it's just examples of just like men who just do something whether it's like they do something that isn't necessarily inherently masculine but they'd love it or or it's like it's like being like friendly and helpful to someone it's just like like, it's just like good examples of just men and masculine people just like yeah just being a good person just like just like not necessarily having to fit into that kind of box of of being what society and what the media kind of has to define being a man is it's just it's carving it out for yourself and kind of bettering the world as a result i think that's the simplest way you can put it why do you think historically men have struggled to express how they're feeling about their mental health or just feelings in general has society taught us that it's not okay for us to show vulnerability 
or have we as men done it to ourselves, do you think? It's such a complicated question. I think it's probably a, a mix of both, but it's um it's it, it covers such a such a wide thing and it's and it spans back so so far back of like it'll probably span back to when obviously like men being the hunters and things like that. Like it's gonna go like that far back where you're talking about like how, how we had to have it where like men were assigned to one job role <laughs> like way back and that was like all we had to do and like we almost had to fit ourselves to that. I think actually I think part of it as well is I think it's almost like a it's almost like a weird like what like a, a weird working culture almost based off that it's like a working culture thing where you've got to all you've got to do is your job and I think like men are I think are a lot of the time are associated with their work and nothing outside of it and obviously the vast majority of, of work that men would be associated with doing you don't associate with having emotions don't even have to play a part of it it's almost like masculinity comes from that idea of you have you have a role and you 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 do that role and that's and that's your part in the world and and that's all you and that and you are what you contribute to like a workforce it almost feels like it's some sort of it spawns from that kind of idea of you are someone who works works for the world and and anything that's more personal it's like it's um that's uh that's nothing to do with it and it's irrelevant it should be stomped out if you're going to continue like working like a certain job or anything like that again it's um it's a it's a it's weird i think that's only something i've really ever thought about until like just recently but i think that's probably a significant factor do you think that plays any sort of part on it or do you think that has any sort of truth to it i think so mate i think we've had a few different answers about this question i think there are you know a lot of people have said oh it's the hunter gatherer thing and people men being expected to uphold themselves to a certain idea and or, or ideal and i think that's certainly true in some cases i also think personally that like you you know i really agreed with what you said about the criteria point of view and how you know, we have to fit into a certain bracket, you know, we have to either be good at football, or we have to love going to the pub, or we have to, you know, all those sort of things that are very sort of like stereotypical. And if you don't like them, well, it's like, well, oh, what's wrong with you? Do you know what I mean? Like, I love sport. I actually, I absolutely love sport. But at the same time, my friends will tell you, I'm not that good at playing football. I love playing it, but I'm not that good at it. But that was a massive social ostracization tool when we were in school. You know, if you were if you were if you're rubbish at football, you weren't respected. And if you were good at football, even if you were like even if there was a boy who was an absolute mug, at least they were respected, if that makes sense. And you felt included because that's all we did in school. You played football, basically. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you yeah, you would you would you would get the yeah, if you played like rounders or netball, God forbid, this is like maybe more of like a UK thing, but if you played any of those things in school and you were a guy, that was like game over socially. It was the, the rampant homophobia, wasn't it, really? Let's be let's be honest. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, cause, well cause, well, cause and I think it spawns from like a I think it spawns as well. I think a lot of I heard a really good I think it was uh, like a, an old thing from the comedian Bo Burnham who was talking about it like on a podcast where it's like a lot of homophobia as well is actually just quite honestly rooted in sexism because because the association is oh you like oh you like you like what women oh, it's like oh you like netballs around netball around us that's what women do so you must be gay or or like you know it it, it spawns i think I, I do i do believe that to an extent a lot of homophobia does come from things like sexism and and spawns from a, a lot of other things from there i think it spreads to music as well mate you know when we were in school uh, i don't i think it's changed a lot now but you know if you liked anything that wasn't considered a masculine form of music, whether it was hip hop or something like that. If you liked anything that was, you know, strong female vocals or it was more lighter or more dancier, 
people would go, why are you listening to that for? That's for girls. No, do you know what? Actually, now that you mention that, I just you've just brought up a memory of when I was in primary school and I was singing along to, I sat, I was singing, I can't remember who it was. It was a female singer or it was like, um I can't remember the name of the singer, but I was singing along to like a song by a female singer and everyone in my class laughed at me for it. And I was like, I was like really weird in that one. I was really upset by it going, I was just singing a song I really liked and everyone like laughed at me going, you're singing a girl's song. It's like, and, and, I, and I think back, it was actually, it made me quite upset that everyone like was making fun of me for something that's so trivial. But I think back at it now going, that's so ridiculous to me, like in my head, like that I sang a song that was sung by a girl and that's automatically like, that automatically like is 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 subject for ridicule. That's like ridiculous. Like it's so strange. It's like they're trying to emasculate you. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, and it's, it's bizarre thinking that. And, and to think that, that kids are taught that kids know to emasculate another one of their, their, um, another, uh, pupil at such an early age is is insane it just goes to show you how like early kids learn about like things like toxic masculinity and just like how early that kind of that is 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 taught is learned and taught i've got one more question for you l what more do we have to do to ensure men from all backgrounds whatever sexuality they are feel comfortable and safe in opening up about their mental health honestly freddie is genuinely like things like what you're doing with this podcast it's just it's creating a space in which you give people the opportunity to talk about their experiences their life um you know whatever's going on mental health all of that and and also giving giving especially with like user-based platforms you know the the beauty of that is is that you can kind of say whatever you want which you know might have is its drawbacks for you know to a certain extent but one of the amazing things is that people can speak their mind they can and they can speak truth to power and they can talk about what that what they need to it's like it's such a an important tool that we've got especially like for me especially for a while really for us because like because everyone's on the internet and you can see you can see almost anything on the internet and that's such a and it's it's such a beautiful thing that it's such like a it's like such a free market for like thought and what and for people to say their piece and to have some sort of platform because obviously because like obviously back in the day especially you you wouldn't like you would only hear anyone ever saying outside of your friends and family and like people you knew in your immediate circle the only people you'd hear about would be from the tv the radio like you don't hear anyone like up on the uh the soapbox if if you will like you don't hear anyone else ever like having to getting to say their piece on outside of like regulated and like official things that are like in the media so it's, it's such an amazing platform like the internet um that that we that gives us the opportunity to to, to speak our minds and say how we feel well i think that's all we've got time for on this episode of behind the decks i want to say a big thank you to elliot aka Snowdream, for being my special guest on this episode and letting me go behind the decks with him. Qualified, one of the tracks off his debut album will play us out and I'll put some links to where you can follow Snowdream on social media and stream his music in the description of the pod. As always, thank you to all the vendors who tuned in. Remember, if you've liked what you've heard, please give this a share on all the usual social media channels, tell your friends or work colleagues about it or if feeling very, very generous, write us a review on iTunes. Stay tuned for the next episode of Behind the Decks and remember... It's always okay to vent.